Hey, you're going to want to turn with me to John chapter 17. If you have your Bibles, feel free to do it. John chapter 17. And as you get it, I'm going to put it in some context. And um, this is the beginning of our year kind of hanging out in the New Testament. They're going to say we're going to do this. We're going to do, I'm going to challenge us to be people of prayer for the next 40 days. Starting next week as we look at some of the prayers in the book of Acts. And then we're going to go to 1 Peter. And then we're going to go through the book of Romans for the rest of the year. We spent the whole year last year in the book of Genesis. And so we've got a really great year ahead of us of where we're going. A couple of weeks ago, I started listening to Physics for Non-Math People, which is exactly my category, Physics for Non-Math People. And they talked a little bit about Isaac Newton. Isaac Newton is a renowned, renowned scientist and um, famous for all kinds of laws. And in fact, one of the things you might know about Isaac Newton is, you know, when the apple fell off that tree, bunked him on the head, oh, some people said he invented gravity. He didn't invent gravity, okay? Um, it was there, it existed well before he had the apple. He just realized the theory of gravity, and, and it came to fruition at that moment. But what a lot of people don't know is that he was also a biblical scholar. He wrote over 1.3 million words on the Bible in his search for truth. Someone who believed that scientific truth revealed biblical truth. And he's very much a believer in Jesus Christ and the Word of God. And in one of his laws, his theories that he, he did, we talked about the theory, or it's called the law of inertia. Now, I am not a scientist. I am not a um, physics person. But the law of inertia, and this is what I've learned. The law of inertia says... An object will remain at rest in a uniform or in a uniform straight line unless it is acted upon by an external force. And so I brought an object. An object for us. And I am not going to throw it at you because that was, we don't get to play catch, but we got here. And no, his name's not Wilson. Multiple people have called him Wilson today. It's not Pumpkinhead either, and, um, nor is it Pablo. It is just a ball, an object. And, and if you think about Newton's law of inertia, an object will remain at rest. Stay. All right, it's working, right? And, and, then, and then it will, or it will maintain a uniform straight line unless it is acted upon by an external force. So if I were to throw the orange round object on my table, I were to throw it, would it maintain a perfectly straight line? No. External force, gravity, there is wind resistance, and so it would eventually slow, and gravity would cause it to come down, and it would eventually come to a standstill. Because the external force is greater than its movement out, right? There's a force called gravity. And so I thought about inertia, and that's the word we're going to use for this year is inertia because, because I believe that Jesus Christ gave us some inertia. He was focused on one particular object, and that was doing the will of God. And he was focused on going through, if you will, a straight line to obey and follow with what God wanted him to do. And nobody or nothing could keep him from accomplishing that purpose. And focused, and, and Peter one time tried to distract him, and Peter said, Peter said, you shouldn't do this, and, and he told his friend Peter, get behind me, Satan. And, and Satan tried to distract him, and, and Jesus said, no, God's word says. And so, objects within and objects without not, did not prevent Jesus from following in that straight line and accomplishing the will of God. 
And so what I want us to think through today, tomorrow, and for the rest of the year are what are some of the things that get in your way, that slow you down, that keep you, if you will, still. Because I believe that God has called us to be a movement, to be a life change, to be, to be a light world, to be a map for those who are lost, to be a compass for those who need a direction. And instead, most of the time, we are quiet, we are hidden, we are shy. And so we're going to look at John chapter 17. We're going to look at what Jesus prays for us. And, and, and I want you to think about the things, the objects, and pretty soon I'm going to have more illustrations about things that get in the way of your life going in a straight line. So John chapter 17, let me put it in context, because Jesus was building a movement. Put it in context. John has the book of John, the gospel of John has seven different miracles in it. And, and so John was an older man when he wrote this, and, and probably the gospel of Mark and the gospel of Luke had probably been written. And so John had a different purpose. His gospel is different, and yet it contains some things that are the same as the other three gospels. And so in it, there are seven different miracles. And imagine you were following Jesus physically when Jesus was walking the earth. You would have seen him turn water into wine at the wedding. You would have seen him heal the official son. You would have seen him at the pool of Bethesda heal the man at the pool. You would have seen him feed 5,000 people. You would have seen him walk on water to your boat. You would have been with him at the healing of the blind man. No one has ever healed a man who was born blind, and yet, and yet Jesus heals the blind man. You would have seen Jesus. Lazarus, come forth. And you would have been there when Jesus calls forth Lazarus out of the tomb after he'd been there a couple of days. That's some serious mojo, right? That's some serious momentum. And imagine you're following him, and, and, and you're just following him. You're going, I can follow that guy anywhere and everywhere he goes. Would you not follow a man who can call people out of the grave and, and come follow? Absolutely. Would you not follow a man who can feed 5,000? Absolutely. A man who can help people who are sick? Absolutely. And we do. And so he's got some serious momentum. But Jesus in John chapter 17 is going to pray for us. He's going to pray for us because in our way. Chapter 16, still in context. Jesus says, all of this I will told you so that you will not fall away. The assumption that Jesus is making is there is going to be a temptation. It's going to get difficult. It's going to get hard to do what I've called you to do. And as a result, I don't want you to fall away. And so I've just told you these things. And then at the end of that chapter, John continues with Jesus, quoting Jesus, I have told you these things so that in me you would have peace. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. He gives a clue, one of the clues that you're going to struggle with, one of the clues that the disciples are going to struggle with. The world is going to offer you fake peace. The world is going to say, hey, hey, if you do this, you're going to have lasting joy. If you buy this, if you participate in this, if you, if you start this habit, you're going to have all kinds of joy, all kinds of peace. And instead, you're just going to have trouble. You're going to have chaos because the world can never say, what? I've told you these things. I've warned you so that you may have peace. Your peace is not Merry Christmas. How many of your things do you still remember from Christmas? But two and a half weeks ago, right? You go, oh, I don't even remember everything I got for Christmas. And it didn't bring lasting peace. So John, Jesus says, 
He looked up in the heavens. This wasn't a, a in-the-closet prayer. This wasn't a quiet prayer. He's over here in the corner. He's praying. This is a prayer he's praying before his disciples. So he looks up in the heavens, and he prays. First thing he prays is he prays for himself. It's going to be amazing when you think, what do you pray for yourself when you compare your prayers to Jesus' prayers? Watch this, what Jesus prays. And after he prayed, he said, Father, the hour has come. In other words, everything I have taught, the three years I've spent with, with these people, it, it's, it's over, it's time. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify. For you have granted him authority over all the people that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ on whom you have sent. God, you have granted Jesus the ability to give eternal life. All of the authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. And what is eternal life? Eternal life is knowing God the Father. Eternal life is knowing. He prays his prayer for himself is that through his life, others would get to know God the Father. Others might know God. Jesus' prayer for himself. How often do you pray that for yourself? Oh, no, no, no. We pray, okay, I've got a stubbed toe. Jesus, heal my stubbed toe. Oh, no. Oh, no, my shirt is ripped. Oh, no, I got a stain. Will no one remember and see the stain on my shirt? How often is your prayer this, that other people would know Jesus because of you today? That's incredible. Other people would know. And, and the word know has more than just simply an accumulation of facts. It is not that 2 plus 2 equals 4 and now you're a mathematician. It's not A, B, C, D and now you're an editor. That's not what no means. No is this intimate knowledge you have with God the Father. When Jesus wants you to know God the Father, he doesn't want you just to become intellectually aware of God. There are many people who have read the Bible cover to cover and they have never, ever found a relationship with God. My question is, when you say you know God, are you growing in intimacy with him? Are you growing, is your heart and your mind and your soul growing in depth of knowledge and understanding of who God is? One guy says this, a man or a woman may be theologically knowing and yet spiritually arrogant or, I'm sorry, spiritually ignorant, arrogant work. One of the challenges that sometimes I've encountered with people who are studying at a seminary, people who are engaged in seminary studies, is that, is that all of a sudden their mind just gets so filled with knowledge and wonder about God is, is their heart grows smaller and smaller. And although they're, they're gaining more intellectual knowledge of God, their heart is getting harder and colder, and they reduce God to a set of facts. There are other people who, who don't want to spend any time. They think, well, studying God like that, that's a waste of time. I'm glad I didn't spend time over there. They're all emotion. They, all they have is they have this God of emotion. And if they feel good, it's great. If, if, as long as they're feeling well, but man, they go into a hide and, and God is forgotten because they're just emotionally vacuous. They're emotionally empty. There's a mix, there's a marriage between knowing God intellectually and knowing God emotionally, just like your spouse, just like your children, where you get to know them, you love them tremendously, but you have to spend time with them. 
2019, I'm going to challenge you to spend time with God. Spend time relationally with God. That means you're going to have to pray to Him. It means you're going to have to read with Him. It means you're going to have to be connected to other people who are also growing close to God. And may other people, may God be, other people get to know Him because you're growing close to Him. And so after Jesus prays for Himself, He focuses His prayer on His followers. He focuses his prayer on those people who are following him. Watch this. This gets pretty exciting. Verse 9, I'm starting there. And I pray for them, his followers. I'm not praying for the world. In other words, he's not praying for all of those people who aren't followers. He's praying for his followers. I'm praying for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are the world. You guys are here, and I am coming to you. His first request, Heavenly Father, protect them. If you have your outline, if you have a bulletin, you might want to circle that. That's his first request. His first request for you, for me, his direct followers, is that you would be protected. Protect them by the power of your name the name that you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. And, and so Jesus is telling, asking God the Father, protect them. It, 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 there's, a, there's an emphasis on that. Protect them. Why do you need to be protected? Why is Jesus' number one prayer for you to be it, it, you, you only need to be protected if there's danger, right? You, don't, you, don't, you only need a moat around your house if you're afraid the enemy is going to come into your house. You only lock your door because you're afraid somebody's going to come into your house. You only boop, boop your car because you don't want somebody to steal your car. Jesus is saying to you, church, it's going to be a dangerous world. There are dangers out there, and you need to be protected. Protect them by the power of your name. In other words, Jesus is saying you're going to have to get out of your house. You're going to have to go someplace where it's a little dangerous, where there is an enemy. Watch this, the next Time, he says, protect them. Verse 15. My prayer is not that you would take them out, but that you would protect them from the evil one. If you, you were, if you were to look at his protection, his protection of his disciples to us mathematically wouldn't make sense. Just a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months after Jesus prays this prayer to protect him, Stephen is being pelted with rocks. Well, what kind of protection is that? Protection, you're not protecting Stephen very well. You're not protecting all of those people who were then persecuted by the Apostle Paul or Saul, the persecutor. He wasn't doing it. You weren't, as they were scattering, were you protecting them, God? How come, how come they're getting persecuted? How come they're getting beat up? How come they're getting put in jail? How come some of them are getting flogged? James and John go into the synagogue and they're arrested. God, are you really protecting them? Protect them from the evil one. Protect them from the evil one. Yes, they were protected. They were filled with the presence of his spirit in their life. Just because God's presence is in your life does not mean that you won't encounter difficult times. It just means that God will protect you. He will, by the power of his precious name, he will protect you. That the Father would protect you. He will absolutely protect you. That doesn't mean that people aren't going to hate you. 
aren't going to say bad things against you. It does mean that you can have faith that God will protect you by the power of his name. The second prayer he writes, circle this in the outline if you want to, write this down. He prays this, the two requests that Jesus makes for his followers. One, that they would be protected. Two, that they would be sanctified. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify is a good church word. I'll explain to you what that means in a minute. But sanctify. He says, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. You've got a place to go. You're going to be sanctified, sent into the world. For them, that they too may be truly sanctified. That they would be sanctified by the truth. Write that down. That they would be sanctified by the truth. Let's look and see what sanctified means. It's a great word. It means, it means in some aspects, it means to set apart, to be holy. And so, and so Jesus is praying that you and you and you would not only be protected, but that God the Father would set you apart. In other words, you're no longer common, you're uncommon. You're no longer ordinary, you're extraordinary, no longer normal, you're abnormal because you have been set apart. You are holy for a special task. To sanctify also means that you've been set apart, but you've been set apart for a special task. He's asking, Jesus is asking God, the Father, to equip you with qualities of heart, mind, and character to accomplish the special task. And so, so protect them, God, Father, protect them. Set them apart. God, equip them in their heart, in their mind, and in their character for the special task. And what is that special task? It is to go out and to glorify you through their life and through their witness and through their testimony. You get to have this inertia that says, I'm going to go in a straight line this year in 2019. My goal is to be in anything that gets in the way of me being what God has asked me to be has to be removed. The object has to be taken out of the way. Jesus prays for his followers. Third one, his followers. Followers and their followers after them. He prays for his followers. Those people who are going to follow the followers and those people who are going to follow the followers after those followers. You there. Give you an example. As I was studying for this at a library, I started to think of my kids, if you will, the followers. And then I started to think of my grandkids, my kids, my daughter weeks. Ooh, happy birthday, Lindsay. Matthew is 18. They don't have kids yet. Praise the Lord. <laughs> okay. Okay. They don't have kids yet, so I don't have any grandkids, but I pray for my grandkids. But I didn't pray for or my great-grandkids. What are my great-grandchildren and my great-great-grandchildren? How are they going to be like? What are they going to be like? See, many of you in this room might have grandchildren. But what about your great-grandchildren? What about your great-great-grandchildren? And how are your great-great-grandchildren going to know the faith that you find so dear? You've got to instill it in your children and if you have influence over your grandchildren, you've got to instill it in your grandchildren. But you can't probably do anything about your great-great-grandchildren. You definitely can't do anything about your great-great-great-grandchildren. Jesus has invested three years into the life of his disciples. 
and he's going to go. He's going to go be with the Father. He's going to send the Spirit, but Jesus physically isn't going to be there anymore. And he's saying, Lord, these followers, protect them. These followers, sanctify them, set them apart for the noble purpose, the thing that I did, Lord, empower them to do. But I'm going to pray for those who follow after them. In other words, I'm going to pray followers are going to make. So this morning I prayed for the people this year that you are going to make into followers of Jesus. I believe that God truly wants you to produce spiritual offspring this year. I, want, I, I believe that God truly wants you to have spiritual children. Children in which, in which you led people, someone to Jesus. And you said, would you like to know Jesus personally? Would you like to have an intimate knowledge relationship with God the Father for forgiveness of sins and for the fact that you get to be in eternity with God? And they're going to say, yes, I want that. And you're going to have the privilege of leading him to faith in Jesus Christ. For those people who will be the followers of the person that you help follow Jesus. Church, there's no reason why you shouldn't have spiritual grandchildren. People following the people that you led to Jesus. People following the people who are following the people that you led to Jesus. And the only way that's going to get there is with us in prayer. Jesus gave us a mission. He gave us a mandate that we need to be people making followers. Listen to what he says. My prayer is not for them alone, not just for the followers. I pray for those, look at what he says, for those who will believe in me through their message. I am going to believe in Jesus Christ through your message. Not through my message, but through your message. How exciting would 2019 be when you and you and you deliver people into eternal life and say, this person is there because God had... God saw fit to use a broken, cracked vessel just to simply pour his word out on them, and they became believers. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me, and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe have sent me. How big is Jesus' vision for your life? To impact the world. A group of 12 disciples, 11, boot Judas out, 12, put Paul back in if you want, 12, 120, probably there around Pentecost. The world was changed inside and out through the message of those people. We've got a head start. We've got 45, 50 people here this morning. We've got a head start over the disciples. You can do it. 2019. Jesus Christ prays for you. He prays that God would protect you. There are going to be things that are going to get in the way of the inertia of his movement in your life. You're going to have a natural gravity wanting to pull you down so that you hold still. You're going to have a natural inclination to, to just be okay with your comfort zone today. It's going to be where you want to be. Is, is Okay, I'll change a little bit, but you're not really going to want to change that much at all. There's a guy, I was listening to his story. He's a Nobel Peace Prize winner. And you know what? He got a Nobel Peace Prize in behavioral physics. 
And what he said, and one of the great things he did was he found out that what you got to do is you got to remove obstacles for people to change. One of the things that he became famous for was when people sign up for retirement accounts, they used to, when they go to HR, they're, they're filling out an application and, you know, the first day on the job, fill out all that paperwork, and then you would need to check mark the, do you want to participate in the retirement account of the company? 20% of people used to opt in to participating in the retirement account of the company. This Nobel Peace Prize guy studied all kinds of people, and he said, you know what? If you make them, instead of opting in, opt out, 98% of people participated in retirement. Why? Because he took away the obstacle of taking your pin and checkmarking that box. That's simple. There, In other words, there are some simple things in your life that you've got to remove because change is hard. Change is difficult. I'll remind you of something I asked many years ago. Just try changing your morning routine just a smidgen. Talking to my friend Trevon, and, and, and what is, does he start shaving on the right side or the left side? Does he put whipped cream on the, the shaving cream on his right hand and shave with his left? What does he do? And, and flip that. Man, how hard is it to put the shaving cream on with the opposite hand? Yeah, Rich, Rich doesn't shave, and so he doesn't have to worry about that. But, but for those of us who do, how hard is it? It, it's it really tight. And then you've got to shave with the other hand. If you can't simply shave with the other hand, how hard is it going to be to do something uncomfortable and talk to a stranger? To invite a stranger to church? To sit next to somebody you don't know? I praise God today for the people that are here, and this is their first time. It was very uncomfortable for them to come. They didn't know what they were getting into. They didn't, think, they didn't know. I could have been um, foaming at the mouth. I could have been dancing up and down the aisle. <laughs> You know, they didn't know what they were getting into, and yet, and yet they took a step of faith, and they came today. And now they get to meet you. And they get to, more importantly, they get to meet Jesus. And hopefully, hopefully, you get in people that you don't know. They're already uncomfortable. But this afternoon, are you going to be uncomfortable and say hi to them? Or are you going to maintain your relational connections and let them walk out the door? Daniel? You can't leave without them saying hi, okay? <laughs> Sorry to put you on the spot, but uh, welcome to me. Um, <laughs> Jesus says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. In them, I in them, and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Like that rhyme, Patricia? All right. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you loved me from the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Let me close with this thought. You are under the power of God. If you came to the table, Jesus, the one that was broken for you, is praying for your protection. You are set apart for a noble purpose. 
You are no longer a common person. You are uncommon. You are extraordinary person. You've been set apart. And you have all the resources you need. So church, let's gain the inertia of Jesus Christ. Let's point ourselves towards the mission that he has called us to be. And let's watch him work in a powerful and profound way in the lives of the people in Colton and throughout the world. Amen. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. Lord, I pray if there is somebody in this room this morning, somebody who who has a major obstacle in front of them, and they're feeling like they can't go forward until that obstacle is removed, Lord, I pray that you would remove that obstacle. I don't know what it is that is preventing them from doing your will. Lord, whether it's sin that they haven't confessed, a relationship that they need to work with, a, a, a past that is unresolved, and because of their past, Lord, they can't move forward. But I pray, Lord, that they would have the faith that you have instilled with them the power of your name. You have protected them, Lord, and you will continue, Lord, as they give themselves over to you in 2019, as they long for you, Lord, to work in them in a powerful in a profound way. Give them, Lord, the encouragement and the strength that they need to be faith-filled followers of you. In your precious name we pray. Amen. If I could have the ushers come forward, please, for the morning offering. And this is the offering and what we give our ordinary, our, our tithes and our offerings to Jesus. And if you have a connection card, feel free to fill that out. If you have a prayer request, we'd love to pray for you as well. As they've come forward now, let me pray. Lord, You know this church, you know our resources, you know our needs. May you abundantly provide above and beyond all that we ask, think, or need through the generosity that you have already provided in this room. In your name we pray, amen.